Our scripture reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me here. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. Please be seated. famous orchestra leader, Leonard Bernstein, once said, quote, my toughest job is to find people who play second fiddle with enthusiasm, but without the second fiddle, you have no harmony. It takes a special man or woman to accept, uh, not only accept, but to thrive in such a role as we might call second fiddle, or the supporting actor. What we often fail to realize is just how very vital the supporting role is to both the lead character as well as the orchestra, the movie, or the story. You know, Sherlock Holmes has his Dr. Watson, and the Lone Ranger has Tonto, and Frodo has Sam. And each of those supporters enhance the main actor's character and role. And the same can be said in team sports, such as football. In football, the star of the team, the the name that everyone knows is the quarterback or or maybe the running back. These are the guys that generate the offense. And yet a team could have the very best quarterback in the league, the best running back in the league, and never win a game if it were not for the offensive linemen who are protecting the quarterback or blocking for the running back. And yet no one knows their name. But they assume their role and they make a significant contribution to the team and to the cause. The Bible also has a list of second fiddles. For those who had what we might call the supporting roles as they played it out in real life. We think of Joseph in Egypt. And God's plan was for him to rise to second. In Genesis 41, we read Pharaoh's words, Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So as Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. 
he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. In the account of David, Jonathan, son of uh, King Saul, and the heir to the throne was David's best friend. And Jonathan quickly understood that God's plan for David to be king and not him. And he accepted that role as second fiddle. In 1 Samuel 23, 17, we read Jonathan's words. Quote, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul, Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Jonathan willingly assumed the role of second and remained David's friend and confidant until his death. And if we turn to the New Testament, we have John the Baptist as another example. John's disciples complained that since Jesus arrived on the public scene, everyone was flocking after him. And John responds in part, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John understood God's role. Uh, his role in God's plan, excuse me. He was a supporting actor that would shine brightly, but for a moment, in pointing people to Jesus, and then he would become less. He understood that he was not worthy even to tie the, the, the laces on Jesus' sandal. And yet this does not mean that his role had, was of no consequence or of little value. In fact, Jesus gives this glowing testimony in Matthew 11:11. He says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So playing second fiddle counts. And in today's scripture, we have two individuals who prove to be faithful second fiddles. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, there has been a, a progression of thought, which goes back to chapter 1, verse 27, where it said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And this was followed by an emphasis on the unity and joint purpose and the oneness that should be expressed among the people. And in so doing, to, doing so, Paul emphasizes the attitude that we should have. And he instructed them, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Then he gave them, remember that mountain peak example of humility and reviewing the life of Christ and what he had let go in order to humble himself for our sakes. And then in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, he exhorts the believers to follow Christ's example of humble obedience that they might indeed be like stars in the sky and shining into the darkness. And this continues in today's section. Paul now gives two concrete examples of what humble obedience really looks like, the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul starts with Timothy, and 
starting in verse 19. I hope in the, Lord, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me here, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul loved Timothy. In fact, he says that in 1 Corinthians 4, 17. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he's talking about not a biological son, but a spiritual son came to faith under Paul's teaching. And again, in both his first and second letters to Timothy, he starts, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. To Timothy, my dear son. After being touched by God's grace, uh, Timothy believed and trusted Christ. And he joined Paul in much of his ministry. We find Timothy with Paul, starting in Acts 16, in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Corinth, and in Ephesus, where Paul actually left him in charge to counter some of the men who were teaching false doctrine. We also know from Scripture that Timothy was imprisoned. Hebrews 13.23 recalls, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. He was such a part of Paul's ministry uh, that he named Timothy as a, the co-sender of six of his New Testament letters, including this one, Philippians, which, if you remember, opens Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that Paul regarded Timothy so highly is because of Timothy's character, shown in the love of the Philippian believers and in his humble attitude. Such high praise that Paul says about him. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy has proved himself. I have no one else like him. It can be translated, uh, I have no one of the same mind. I have no one of a kindred spirit. Timothy was sold out to Christ, and because of that, he was sold out to assisting Paul in the advancement of the gospel. But in that supporting role, he understood that he was there as a second fiddle. He was not trying to usurp Paul's leadership. He was making himself available. Now, if you read through the, the New Testament, you'll find that Timothy is being sent here and there and here. Remember, this is back in the day when travel was not quite as easy as it was today, nor was it as safe. He was not trying to pull himself up on Paul's coattails, but rather cheerfully assumed that role as his support, as the second fiddle. His humility is shown in the words, who will show genuine concern for yourself, for no one looks out for their own interests, not those, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy loved the people there in Philippi, and that love was manifested in his genuine concern 
for how they were doing in both their walk with the Lord and with the conflicts within the church. And this attitude of humility we're we're familiar with as we've gone through the the book of of Philippians. This was just what Paul was talking about way back in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. And Timothy was a shining example of what Paul was describing there. Paul next turns to Epaphroditus. He's only mentioned three times in Scripture, all in this letter. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you all, all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. As we'll discover later on near the end of the letter, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church with a gift for Paul and was instructed to stay there and to minister to Paul's needs. Remember, Paul is in the house arrest in Rome. And Paul holds this man in the highest esteem. Listen to those, those descriptive words about Epaphroditus, my, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister. And then in verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. He was another man who understood his role. Understood his role and with complete devotion to Christ and the work of the gospel, expended himself on behalf of the sending church to minister to Paul. But while he was in Rome, he became ill. It most likely was the, the Roman fever, the malaria, which is Italian for malaria. But we cannot be certain. He was sick for some time. The church at Philippi had heard of his illness. Now, Philippi was 800 miles from Rome. It took about two months to get there. So somebody had to take that news to them. So that was two months. And then somebody had to come back and tell them that they were concerned about him. So he was sick for quite a while. Uh, um, But whatever illness it was, it was serious enough during that time that he nearly died. But God was merciful. And God spared his life, and in that spared the church and Paul's sorrow as well. And this shows just how much Paul loved Epaphroditus. His heart was really, really distressed uh, to the point of anxiousness over his health. And it also points to the fact that though we are Christians and we know what lies ahead when God calls us home, enemy, uh, death is still an enemy and still causes sorrow at the thought of departing. And here was another man 
who had a humble spirit. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you have heard he was ill. To long for means to, to show deep desire for the Philippian church. His distress is not over his own interests, his own illness, as grave as it was, but rather distress that they were now concerned for his health. Thinking of others, not himself. And isn't that Christ-like? But Christ did not think of himself and his suffering, but others. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So now Paul decides to send Epaphroditus back now that he was able to travel. And sending him back was a sacrifice to Paul. Remember that he was sent there, Epaphroditus was sent there to minister to Paul's needs. So he was somebody who was taking care of his needs. If Paul needed something, he went and got it. But he, you know, he needed companionship. That guy was there. So just sending him back was, should not be viewed as a light thing. But again, because Paul understood the connection between Epaphroditus and the church, Paul sends them back so that they might be relieved and not burdened. And Paul wants to make sure also that there's no misunderstanding as to why he is returning. He does not want anyone to think that in any way that Epaphroditus has deserted Paul So he adds this instruction, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. Honor people like him. Contrary to the false prosperity gospel which claims that God always wants you healthy and wealthy and that to be sick shows a lack of faith, we have this sterling example. This saint was spoken of in glowing terms and held in the highest esteem by Paul, and yet he was ill, nearly to the point of death. H.A. Ironside wrote, quote, And let it be remembered that sickness may be as really from God as health. It is clear that Paul never held or taught healing in the atonement, and therefore the birthright privilege of all Christians. Now, as solid a Christian as this man was, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a minister, he became ill to the point of death. This faithful soldier ministered to Paul, putting his life at risk. And it was not only a risk by disease, but by association. Remember, he was ministering to a man who was ready for trial, who might be convicted of insurrection against the empire. And in that case, Epaphroditus might be seen as a sympathizer. And he might be uh, arrested likewise and suffer the same consequences. To risk one's life is the word used here, is a word that means to gamble, to gamble one's life. Someone noted there should be in the Christian almost a a reckless courage which makes him or her ready to gamble his life to serve God and man. Timothy and Epaphroditus understood their roles as second fiddles 
but as essential in the advancement of the gospel and the building up of the church. They saw the big picture. The big picture that stretched beyond themselves and involved the unity and purpose Paul spoke about for the church. And they were right to understand how important their contribution was to that big picture. You know, sometimes as, as co-workers involved in our specific ministry, we can occasionally lose sight of the big picture. We either view our ministry as the most important or going to the other extreme, we devalue our ministry in saying things like, well, I only do this or, or I don't do much at all. And both, both of these reactions indicate that one is, we're not seeing the big picture. And that reminded me, again, of this, one of my favorite illustrations. You've heard it before, but it's always worth, worth retelling. It's like a good fishing story when I caught the big fish. And it goes like this. A bishop visited the site where they were building a great cathedral. And as he entered the church, he stopped to watch a carpenter working on the door. And he asked the carpenter, what are you doing? And the carpenter replied, I'm sanding this door so it closes tightly. Bishop walked a little further into the, into the building. He noticed a painter way up on high, up on the ceiling. He called out to him, what are you doing? And he shouted back, I'm painting a magnificent fresco. Bishop stepped in further and he came across a sculptor and he asked, what are you doing? He said, I'm carving a bust of Christ. Bishop then left. And going down the stairs, he came upon an old man sweeping debris off the steps. He says, what are you doing? And the bishop asked. And the old man looked up and he grinned. He said, I'm building a great cathedral. That is the perspective we need in all our ministries. The body has many different parts, but it's one body. We must never lose sight of the whole and never stop laboring together so that all of us reach the goal. Paul wrote about the, the body, and we're very familiar with it. In 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 20, I want to read it from the Message Bible. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are, that you are part of the body. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or the head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor, just as it is, without comparisons. 
If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer a good digestion to a full-bodied head of hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Each part depending on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. In this endeavor, in which is called the church, both leaders and supporters are vital. The orchestra needs both the first chair violin and the second fiddle. The football team needs both the quarterback as well as the offensive line. Paul needed Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we need each other to make the ministries of the church work. Without your willingness, without your dedication to serving here in some capacity, in unity and in peace, the church will struggle. I might even say the church would fail. For those who do step up, for those who are indeed working in some capacity, we need to honor them. Many ministries in the church may not be visible, but they are vital to the function of the church. Those who serve on boards or work in the nursery or teach Sunday school or handle the technology or stand here and preach, all are to be honored, for we are all the body of Christ, and each one is essential. In fact, we can say we are all essential workers in the church. So never feel your ministry is unimportant. It is vital. And we need everyone in the game. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We need to be involved. And we need to be involved with that attitude of humility and enthusiasm for the great work that we are involved in, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, in the advancement of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And those who are serving, we honor. And we say thank you. We honor them with thanksgiving and praise for you are making it work. And you're advancing not only the vision of the church, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. So never be afraid to proudly admit you are an essential worker as a second fiddle. But I know I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your word for the encouragement that it is to us. And Lord, it gives us such, such the right perspective on how we should be viewing things, how we should be involved, how should we should be serving. And Lord, I, just, I pray that your spirit would, would uh, press this upon our hearts, 
that we might keep that perspective, that we might recognize how essential each and every one of us are to the, to the function and the, and the success of our church. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for those who do serve. We thank you for their commitment. We ask your rich blessings upon them, Lord, and we honor them. We thank them, Lord, for, for serving. Bless us as a church as even in these difficult times, we continue to seek to minister and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We. <clears throat>